This Star News Media Podcast is presented by North Chase Family Dentistry. Open evenings, Saturdays, and they probably take your insurance. Visit them on the web at NorthChaseFamilyDentistry.com. And by Tidewater Heating and Air Conditioning, servicing all major brands with highly trained technicians who are the best the industry has to offer, serving Wilmington and surrounding communities for more than 40 years. Learn more at TidewaterAC.com. A lighthouse shoulders the duty of being many things to many people. A guiding light for those looking for the shelter of dry land. A warning to steer clear of the dangerous shallows nearby. A beam for commerce and trade. And a towering piece of iconography that can come to define the land on which it stands. The Outer Banks of North Carolina are a sought-after vacation spot, defined in the country and the world's mind by the image of Cape Hatteras Lighthouse and its siblings at Cape Lookout and Body Island. But for all the outward guidance it can provide, a lighthouse can also be a comforting and stoic presence for those who inhabit the coastal region around it. That's what Old Baldy has been for the residents of the Cape Fear for more than two centuries, and it hasn't stood alone. Three lighthouses have stood on Baldhead Island, which has long been the gatekeeper of the Cape Fear River, and they, it's key to safe passage. Today, Old Baldy may not hold the international visibility of its siblings up the coast on the Outer Banks, but it does hold the distinction of being the state's oldest still-standing lighthouse dating back to 1817. But even more striking than its seniority is the fact that Old Baldy has weathered every hurricane, war, downturn, and upswing in the past two centuries of this region's history. As much as it's acted as a beacon to safely welcome travelers into the embrace of the Cape Fear, it's also stood as a pillar to this region's resilience in the face of the nation's growing pains and greatest hits. This is Cape Fear Unearthed, the podcast exploring the persisting legends, historical oddities, and mysterious figures of southeastern North Carolina. I'm your host, Hunter Ingram, and I'm a reporter for the Star News here in Wilmington. This week, we're flipping to a new chapter in our local history book to tell the stories of the three lighthouses of Baldhead Island. Old Baldy, as it's affectionately called, holds history in every one of its bricks. But it's not alone. Baldhead is also home to the remnants of the Cape Fear Lighthouse and the memories of the island's first lighthouse, now long since lost to time. The trio are part of a network of North Carolina lighthouses established by the federal government over a century to ensure that sailors could safely navigate the coast, which had gained the dubious nickname Graveyard of the Atlantic, and not just because of pirates. Hidden shoals, treacherous rivers, and ever-changing inlets were dangerous for the ships keeping trade alive in coastal North Carolina and lighthouses were there to point the way around these obstacles. Giving Old Baldy and its fellow lights an extraordinary part to play in this region's development. But the stories of these structures, from how they came to be, to how they became ingrained in the island's identity, are fascinating tales, all their own. As always, I will share with you these stories as they have been passed down through history and told through legend, and then I'll bring in someone from the community with knowledge of our tale to continue the discussion and explore whether or not history can be trusted. So take a deep breath, and let's start climbing the staircase to the top of this new episode of Cape Fear Unearthed, as we shine a light on the historic lighthouses of Baldhead Island.
after it wrestled away its freedom from the British in the American Revolution. The newly independent United States was quick to recognize that its coasts and capes were going to play an important role in building a thriving economy. This, of course, was the time when trade was king, and importing and exporting was all done on the back of the ocean. Reliable access to rivers and shipping channels like the Cape Fear was going to be essential if the country wanted to have a chance at becoming a prosperous global power and not a failed attempt at emancipation. So they struck while the iron was hot. On August 7, 1789, just a few years after the Revolutionary War ended, Congress passed and President George Washington signed a federal act for the establishment and support of lighthouses, beacons, buoys, and public piers. The legislation would become a key action for the still young administration and is today recognized as National Lighthouse Day every August 7th. It would take three years after the act was signed into law for the country to turn its sight toward North Carolina for the establishment of the first lighthouse on the Cape Fear. But where were they going to put it? A few North Carolinians already had some ideas about that. Since the first European explorers began passing the region as they sailed up and down the coast of the New World, they noted the treacherous shoals off the coast of our region. It's what initially earned the area the name Cape of Fear, for it was those 30 or so miles of shoals hidden just below the water that became notorious for mangling its fair share of unsuspecting ships. Today, we know them as frying pan shoals, which extend outward from an island that has become known as Baldhead, named for the barren high point recognized by passing sailors for its white sand and lack of vegetation. The island would have been used by Cape Fear Indians for fishing and by pirates who were looking to lay low and maybe even bury some treasure. The island would get its first European owner after the attempted Charlestown settlement on the banks of the Cape Fear River in 1663, but before Brunswick Town was officially established in 1725. On May 8, 1713, Thomas Smith was granted the island on the Cape Fear, earning the land a name that would widely be used until the Civil War, Smith Island. In historian David Stick's book on the history of the island, he noted that it's unclear if Thomas Smith ever did anything but hold the deed to the land. It would pass to his descendants who, at the very least, raised livestock on the island. After the American Revolution, it would be owned by Benjamin Smith, the future governor of the state. This returns us back to an America in its infancy when George Washington and his Congress were determining where the government's newly ordered lighthouses would go. Even before that act put the responsibility of lighthouses on the government, the Cape Fear region's residents were already devising their own plan of action for safer navigation of the Cape. In 1784, a six-pence-per-ton duty was levied on all vessels passing through the region's port the proceeds for which would go to fund a lighthouse at the farthest point of Baldhead. It took five years, but by 1789, they had the funds they needed to move forward with the lighthouse. And Benjamin Smith even donated 10 acres of the island on which it could be built. But problems would persist from the beginning. The contractor had to request more time and money just to get the hundreds of thousands of bricks onto the island for construction, all in the face of a litany of hurdles, including stranded ships and sickness. By late 1789, the lighthouse was far from finished. When the state of North Carolina officially entered the Union, the government for which 
had already signed the aforementioned legislation taking over construction and maintenance of all of the lighthouses in its states. At that point, there were 12 light structures between New Hampshire and South Carolina, and the bald head light was one of four that sat unfinished. By April 1792, the U.S. Treasury Department, under the direction of one Alexander Hamilton, had budgeted $4,000 to complete the construction that North Carolinians had already begun. However, that initial lowball price tag would soon skyrocket when a Pennsylvania master carpenter was brought in to be the designer. He insisted on workers from and bricks made in his home state be used to build the lighthouse, swelling the cost of construction and labor. By December 5, 1794, a decade after the state's residents first started raising money for it, the lighthouse was ready to be lit, having come in at more than $7,000 over the government's initial investment. Henry Long would become its first keeper at an annual salary of $333, the highest in the lighthouse system. By March 1795, the lantern was beaming for all those who passed the Cape and into the river. But its tenure at the extreme southwestern point of the island would prove to be short-lived. First, it would lose Henry... First, it would lose Henry Long in 1806, when, according to Stick, he was accidentally shot and killed while hunting on the island. But even more detrimental than losing its dedicated custodian, the lighthouse had a much bigger problem. Despite their supposed familiarity with the realities of coastal living, the men who determined the location for the lighthouse had selected a place that was extremely vulnerable to erosion. By 1810, it was so structurally unsound that efforts were underway to shore it up. But it was too late. In July 1813, the Wilmington Collector of Customs notified mariners that the structure's fate had been sealed. The notice read, In consequence of the encroachment of the sea, it has become necessary to pull down the lighthouse on Baldhead. Only one pen and ink sketch of the lighthouse even exists, drawn in July 1806 and depicting two of its greatest enemies, Mother Nature in the form of a water spout on the river and our only indication of just how fatefully close it was built to the waterline. And so... Less than two decades after going vertical, the lighthouse was dismantled brick by brick, many of which were stored farther inland, where its successor was already being envisioned. Despite the rather expedient failure of the island's first lighthouse, faith had not been lost in Baldhead's ability to be a guiding light. They just needed to be smarter about where they built next. Even before the first lighthouse was completely torn down, $15,000 was earmarked by the government for what we know today as Old Baldy. Similar to the first light structure, Old Baldy's construction would be slow going. After waiting three years to get the money for the lighthouse, the bid was finally put out by May 1816 to build the second lighthouse of Baldhead Island. The bid, published in newspapers as far north as Boston, was extensively detailed in what was expected for the lighthouse, many of the features for which were actually pretty similar to the lighthouse that had been deconstructed just three years earlier. It was to be an octagonal structure, built on a solid foundation of stone and at its base 36 feet wide. Windows were to be placed on each platform as you ascended the tower. It slims down to 14 feet 6 inches wide by the time you reach the highest platform, 
the lighthouse's original beam was rescued from the first tower, which had reflective panels that illuminated and projected the flame inside. The flame itself was fed by whale oil, and when it was eventually replaced with a bulb, it was fueled by kerosene. Old Baldy was also built from the salvaged bricks of its predecessor, which were once again bonded together, covered with stucco, and whitewashed. It's said that about 350,000 to 600,000 bricks were saved and used in the construction. The contractor, Daniel S. Way, was also charged with building a keeper's cottage near the lighthouse, which he built first to provide shelter for his workers. But rather quickly, he learned that he had gotten in over his head. Way had never been to the island before making an attractively low bid to complete construction. When he finally stepped foot on the island, he was met with the harsh realization that he was going to have to transport hundreds of thousands of bricks a mile through the uncut marsh to the new site, something he hadn't budgeted for. Still, he got the job done, and Old Baldy was completed by April 1st, 1817. When it actually fired up its light, however, is not known. Some suggest that it would go live that year, while others say it set dormant until 1818. Whenever it was first lit, Old Baldy would begin a journey that has proven to stand the test of time, even if it wasn't always on duty. Once the lighthouse was in operation, it did what a lighthouse does best. It stood resolute, it did its job, and it weathered the storms, both natural and man-made. Understandably, it began to show signs of wear and tear over the years, especially as the country marched closer to civil war. One inspector's account said that it fell into disrepair because its lightkeeper was a revolutionary veteran who was too feeble to complete the necessary maintenance. But like its predecessor, Old Baldy also had an insurmountable disadvantage that would hamper its influence in time. Even before the war, ships were complaining that Old Baldy's light wasn't getting enough range to help guide them past the shoals. Old Baldy was built to be 110 feet above sea level, and an 1851 proposal to address those concerns and extend it to 150 feet tall and install a stronger lens was never seriously considered. Also working against the tower was the new inlet, which had been opened by a hurricane in 1761. The passage offered mariners an outlet into the Cape Fear River that didn't require dodging the shoals or relying on Old Baldy demoting the lighthouse to a backup position to a new structure built at Federal Point. But that competition wouldn't matter much anyway when war broke out and the Confederacy shut off all of North Carolina's lighthouses so as not to give the Union blockade, forming offshore under the direction of President Abraham Lincoln, any help in navigating the shoreline. During the war, Baldhead Island became the site of Fort Holmes, a Confederate base built around Old Baldy in 1863 and made up of a system of defensive features, including earthworks that can still be seen on the island today. Old Baldy was more of an ornamental piece of the fort. Having only been used as a lookout by the Confederate soldiers and only occasionally lit, to help their blockade runners make it into the river. We'll talk more about Baldhead's role in the Civil War in a future episode, but after the fall of Fort Fisher, the island and the fort were abandoned by the Confederacy, leaving Old Baldy to look to the future and its role in it. Unfortunately, that future wasn't initially bright, 
as it was determined that the lighthouse would not be relit after the war, as the government gave all of its attention to the Federal Point Lighthouse, and even began formulating plans to build a new lighthouse on Bald Head Island, one with a greater reach. But before those plans could get underway, New Inlet was closed, and all traffic was again funneled into the river between Bald Head and Oak Island. So, Old Baldy reported for duty yet again, and was relit in 1879. To ensure that it didn't meet a similar fate to its predecessor, a stone jetty 150 feet long was installed around Old Baldy in 1853 to protect its foundation. And it was extended by 50 feet in 1885. An upgraded light was also installed that alternated between white and red, but that wasn't enough. It still wasn't reaching the ships that needed guidance around the shoals. So Congress decided to build a taller brick tower, three miles closer to the Cape, that would stand 150 feet tall and project a beam that could be spotted 18 and a half miles offshore. Under this directive, the Cape Fear Lighthouse was born, a hulking feat of engineering that looked remarkably different from its sibling across the island. Initially, it was to be a solid brick structure like Old Baldy, but the $150,000 proposal to build the lighthouse languished in Congress for years and was eventually stripped down to an approval for $70,000 to build a skeletal-style steel structure. Work on the new lighthouse finally got underway in 1901 by cutting a path through the thick forest to construct a pier and tram road on which they could transport the cast-iron pieces across the island one by one. Today, the straight path of the tram road is marked by Federal Road on the island. Inheriting the curse of its older siblings, the establishment of the Cape Fear Lighthouse was not smooth. The extended transportation process was sluggish, and work was constantly dragging days behind. But also like the two lighthouses before it, this one pulled through, albeit a year behind schedule. On August 31st, 1903, they flipped the switch on the new and officially named Cape Fear Lighthouse, which would serve for 50 years. The tower of crisscrossed steel rods was painted solid white, while the top light room was covered in black. Despite the new competition, Old Baldy's light wasn't immediately extinguished. It remained activated until 1935, at which point it was finally relieved of active duty, for good this time. The introduction of the Cape Fear Lighthouse also gave Baldhead Island one of its most beloved residents, Captain Charlie Swan. A visitor to Baldhead since he was a child, Captain Charlie, as he was called, would become the lighthouse's first and longest-serving keeper in 1903, eventually holding the post for 30 years. He became an institution on the island, the kind of character and personality that inhabits a land and eventually comes to define it. The kind of character and personality that inhabits a land and eventually comes to define it. He was a promoter of the island's history and its rich wildlife. He was its institutional knowledge and its most colorful storyteller. He even had his own spin on the disappearance of Theodosia Burr Alston. If you recall from our first season, Theodosia was the daughter of Aaron Burr and is said to have drowned off the North Carolina coast in 1813. Well, Captain Charlie's take on the tale 
found her making it to the shores of Baldhead Island, only to be kidnapped, held for ransom, and then accidentally killed as she tried to escape in the night. Her ghost roams the island to this day. Or at least that's the story he would tell to wide-eyed kids. Captain Charlie would retire in 1933, and his tower wouldn't last long without him. The Cape Fear Lighthouse would be extinguished on May 15, 1958. The same day, the Oak Island Lighthouse was activated. It would be demolished with explosives in September of that year, but she wouldn't go down easy. The state port pilot reported that it took 62 sticks of dynamite just to bring her down. The first shot blew out four of her eight legs, and yet she didn't budge. Today, the only things that remain of the lighthouse are the concrete pilings on which it once stood, now used as a courtyard near the Baldhead Conservancy. Old Baldy, meanwhile, would go through periods of neglect and disrepair, before the Old Baldy Foundation was established in 1985 to maintain and preserve the structure. It would also serve a few unexpected purposes through the years, including housing a beacon for ships patrolling the coast during World War II. As Baldhead Island has developed from a barren land to a residential retreat and sought-after tourist destination, few things from its formative years have survived. But Old Baldy has. Although it hasn't been alone in serving the mariners of the Cape Fear, it has stood the test of time in ways they just couldn't. The oldest standing lighthouse in the state, Old Baldy's long life is a testament to those who have taken care of it from construction, through its many uses, and now in its life as a historic monument. It's a true steward of the Cape Fear region that's faithfully been watching over it for 200 years and counting. Joining me now to talk further about Old Baldy and the lighthouses of Baldhead Island is Travis Gilbert, the historian for the Old Baldy Lighthouse on Baldhead Island. Thank you so much for being here, Travis. Thank you for having me, Hunter. So I've told our listeners the story of Baldhead Island's lighthouses, um, three really incredible stories. Um, obviously, the centerpiece is Old Baldy, and uh, Old Baldy's kind of uh, a marvel. You know, it's built from the bricks of a predecessor. Uh, it's a survivor of hurricanes and war. What has kept Old Baldy standing all this time? Was it just built well or well-maintained? I mean, kind of, what's its story of it's always been a work in progress. Uh, as the first lighthouse was destroyed by the ever-changing river, uh, Old Baldy faced that same foe um, from the moment it was finished in April of 1817. Uh, the sea wash is quite harsh down there. It's constantly battered by hurricanes. So the brick uh, that was largely recycled from the first lighthouse was covered in stucco, which is just a fancy term for concrete. And that stucco is constantly falling off. So in order to protect the stucco somewhat, they would whitewash the stucco. So it was kind of two layers of protection before the elements could get to the brick. Uh, So that protects against the sea wash. But Baldhead Island being a barrier island, the water flows from the creeks and from the river and from the ocean are constantly changing the coastline. So shortly after the American Civil War, uh, the federal government basically has to build a a jetty or what we would probably consider today a terminal groin uh, to protect Old Baldy from destruction. And its first keeper's cottage actually uh, was devastated from that exact creek line changing its course. Uh, So it never really has been protected. That's why the foundation is there to constantly advocate for um, various ways to preserve this lighthouse. 
Well, and it certainly had plenty of opportunities to succumb to many factors, um, and it's continued to stand. So it's right. It's, it's actually you know really beautiful that it's still there. Yeah, it's a lot of luck. <laughs> a lot of luck indeed. Uh, so I know you get some uh, frequently asked questions. One of them being, uh, why doesn't Old Baldy look like? other lighthouses of North Carolina, like Hatteras, where they have those uh, really eye-catching black and white patterns. Um, right. why is, what's the reason for that? Well, uh, Old Baldy is the oldest standing lighthouse in the state. So its brother or sister in North Carolina would be Ocracoke's Lighthouse. It's just you know about five years after Old Baldy is constructed. And Ocracoke is completely white. And that's, as we just discussed, uh, was Old Baldy's aesthetic when it was in service. It was completely painted white. The day markers, that's what you're referring to, like Cape Lookout has the black and white diamonds, Cape Hatteras has the black and white swirls, and Body Island has the black and white stripes. Uh, Those day markers uh, were created by the Lighthouse Bureau in the 1870s, uh, after the American Civil War. That's decades after Old Baldy was constructed. Uh, so it just kind of predates that phenomenon in lighthouse construction. Now, the kind of camouflaged appearance today is because we no longer whitewash it. And also, no one really wrote down the recipe of the stucco in 1817. <laughs> and there's been a lot of contractors ever since uh, that have reapplied stucco that has fallen off from being exposed to the elements. So what you're seeing is 202 years of contractors mixing up new batches of stucco following a little bit different of a recipe each time, which produces a little bit different of a color in the end. And that is accumulated to create this um, very iconic and very stylized and very unique patchwork appearance to Old Baldy that you're really not going to find in any other lighthouse in America. Oh, it's a look all of its own. I mean, of course, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's characteristic of what it is today. <laughs> and there's also uh, kind of a fun story of uh, why the top of the lighthouse is just a little off center. What's the reason yeah. for that? We call that room a lanthorn. So when we say that Old Baldy is 110 feet tall, that's just the tower. You never include the lanthorn, that glass paneled room where the lantern would have been held. Uh, well. When they built Old Baldy, they recycled the lanthorn that was forged in Philadelphia by a blacksmith named Samuel Wheeler. And it sat on top of Old Baldy for decades through the American Civil War. And sometime after the American Civil War, I'll say circa 1880, they decided to replace it. And once again, they didn't reinvent the wheel. They decided to save a buck or two and recycle a lanthorn that wasn't being used anymore. came from Sullivan's Island, South Carolina. Well, when they brought it up to Old Baldy, uh, they realized it was not large enough to both be centered on the top of Old Baldy Lighthouse and also cover the off-centered hatch that's carved into the roof of Old Baldy the keeper uses to access that room. So the priority, of course, is in covering the hatch so water doesn't seep down into the lighthouse. So I'd like to know if they knew that before or after. Was that something they stumbled upon when they finally got the lanthorn to Baldhead Island? Mm. You know, someone was fired, I'm sure. Again, though, it adds to the character. Of unless, course. Unless you're really bothered by things that aren't symmetrical or centered. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, we get heritage tourists from all over um, Lighthouse officiados, and it's the first thing they center upon because you can't really find that in too many other lighthouses in the nation. So, again, like the camouflage, it, it makes it so iconic and, and such a symbol that's very unique unto ourselves. Absolutely. Now, Old Baldy, like so many things in this region, found itself thrust into the Civil War, as we as we talked about. Um, you know, it, it was surrounded by Fort Holmes, but what kind of role would it have played, you know, in the lead up to the Civil War and then during the, the actual fighting here in the region? Right. Uh, ironically enough, the Civil War actually saved Old Baldy from d- destruction. So there was a bright, young lighthouse engineer named William Henry Chase Whiting. And although he was born in Mississippi, kind of raised in New York, he eventually finds himself here in the Carolinas designing lighthouses. The final lighthouse before the Civil War that he designs and constructs is up at Cape Lookout, the black and white diamonds. 
well, after finishing Cape Lookout, they bring him down to little old Southport, then known as Smithville, mm-hmm. and he lays plans to destroy Old Baldy, which had been woefully inadequate uh, since it was constructed in 1817, too short, too dim. And he was going to build a giant 150-foot tower, very similar to what you would see at Cape Hatteras or Body Island today. Congress appropriates funds in 1860, but then the American Civil War breaks out. And not only does Old Baldy find itself in another country, the new Confederate States of America, but it's that young engineer that wanted to destroy Old Baldy who ends up being in charge of the Confederacy's defenses of Baldhead Island and the Lower Cape Fear River. So General Whiting, while commanding this area's defense, has to look at that lighthouse that he wanted to knock down just a few years earlier. And he builds this 1.7 mile long earthen fort, uh, very similar to Fort Fisher, uh, around Baldhead Island. So although Fort Holmes doesn't play a major role in the American Civil War in terms that there's not a land and sea battle such as Fort Fisher, it is instrumental in defending the Lower Cape Fear, and there are a few kind of skirmishes that occur uh, a- along the island. It eventually has to be abandoned once Fort Fisher falls uh, because it ends up being behind enemy lines. But I think one of the most interesting chapters that Old Baldy witnesses during the American Civil War is the island is used as a refugee camp for newly emancipated enslaved people. Uh, We have records um, from the Union Army when they occupy Wilmington in late winter, early spring of 1865, where they're taking these refugees, these uh, freed people, and bringing them out to Baldhead Island, uh, much in the same way that they took them to Roanoke Island or James City in New Bern or Hilton Head, South Carolina. The island offers... Uh, protection, a buffer uh, from the mainland, and it also is an area of land that already isn't inhabited, with a city that was just jam-packed full of black and white refugees at the end of the war. Uh, so Obaldi would have witnessed uh, these enslaved people their first few moments of, of freedom and transitioning into that life as a freed person. That's incredible. So it sounds like Old Baldy uh, wore whiting down, basically, having to look so. at it over all those years. And then you know, I got to see some other incredible things during the Civil War. Now let's transition for a moment to the Cape Fear Lighthouse. Of course. Um, when you're doing, and I, when I was doing the research for this episode, uh, you see Captain Charlie's name pop up a lot, mm-hmm. um, obviously tied to that lighthouse. And he's a bit of a folk hero for the island and, and really the region. And why is that? Why is his story kind of stuck on so long for all these years? Yeah. Um, well, Captain Charlie serves as the lighthouse keeper, the principal keeper of Cape Fear Light Station um, from its inaugural illumination in 1903 up until 1933 when he retires. Uh, And those years in the beginning of the 20th century represent the first somewhat permanent community on Baldhead Island. Not only do you have Captain Charlie's family, you have the two assistants and their families that lived in that lighthouse compound. You have a life-saving service station and dozens of men out there and their families. You have river pilots and you have one of the first uh, entrepreneurs to buy Baltic Island to create a beach resort in this era of Lumina Station and whatnot. So you have his family and the tourists that he's attracting. So he becomes maybe we call him the unofficial mayor of Baldhead Island's first village, its first sense of permanence, its first sense of community. And because he um, played such a role in binding these peoples together, I think he plays a kind of an outlandish role. Uh, and he also was a prolific storyteller. So we have a version of Theodosia on Baldhead Island yes. that originates with Captain Charlie. Uh, We also have a Bigfoot-style creature. Uh, He invented this mythological creature called a Yahoo, and a Yahoo had an affinity for eating small children. So the Yahoo (laughs) prevented all these kids um, from finding danger at night on this giant island that was their playground with all these critters and waters that could have um, been their demise. Uh, So it's the storytelling, it's the myth-making, and it's just his role of binding all these communities together that give him such a kind of mythological standing down there. 
everyone loves a good personality that of they course. can kind of uh, yeah. you know talk about and he becomes a staple of it i think people would feel the same way kind of like the hermit of fort fisher you know, a good storyteller good person that's kind of always on the land yeah. you know that's a great comparison. Um, I never thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it sounds like I also should have included the Yahoo in my Beast of the Cape Fear episode, yeah. even though it wasn't yeah. true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, like I said, you, you see his name constantly through some of these because obviously right. he was well after Old Baldy was already in operation and all these things. But um, you're right. He, he very much is tied to at least the historical record of, of Baldhead Island and especially its lighthouses. Right. Yeah. You know, Captain Charlie and his lighthouse, he's the fruition of General Whiting's plans. Uh, when push comes to shove at the end of the 19th century, when the federal government finally gets back on track to building a lighthouse that would be efficient and tall enough to do its job down at Baldhead Island, they rather than destroying Old Baldy, they just start anew. And they put the lighthouse three and a half miles towards the Cape. So it can not only guide mariners into the safety of the Cape Fear River, but warn them of the dangers of frying pan shoals, which extend 20 to 30 miles off of Cape Fear, the actual headland on Baldhead Island. Uh, so he's responsible for being um, kind of the caretaker the watchkeeper of this graveyard of the Atlantic that begins at Cape Fear and extends up to Cape Hatteras. And he does it for 30 years, and I don't think he was ready to retire, other than the fact that one of the assistant lightkeepers died. He went into cardiac arrest at the very top of Cape Fear Light Station. And Captain Charlie is the gentleman that found him. And he promptly retires just a few months later. So I like to think that he saw perhaps his own mortality uh, in that experience and thought it was time to call it quits and retire over in Southport. And he is the first person that lights the switch or flips the switch to illuminate Oak Island Lighthouse for the very first time in uh, May of 1958. Um, so, you know, the myth-making, the legacy uh, permeated not only from Baldhead Island, but into Oak Island, into Southport. Uh, he was that uh, large of a figure. That's cool. Um, yeah, I imagine seeing that, you know, just being out there on the island and seeing that, you know, a friend die in that way probably right. was kind of a wake-up call. Now, I, you know, I imagine this is a question you get a lot, but why was Old Baldy saved for all these years, but Cape Fear Lighthouse wasn't? Yeah, I think luck. I think that um, Old Baldy has always been romanticized. Um, first of all, Cape Fear Light Station was what we call a skeletal lighthouse, meaning that it was um, wrought iron and steel. It resembles what we'd consider today maybe a giant power line pole or cell phone tower. Yeah, it looks very different than any of the other ones. Right. See-through. <laughs> yeah, it's see-through. The wind could go through it. It looks like, yeah, a giant tower. So um, the romanticism, the aesthetic, isn't quite there for Cape Fear Light Station. And when Oak Island is completed in 1958, the Coast Guard decides that uh, rather than keep Cape Fear Station standing, they're just going to blow it up. Um, they don't want, first of all, mariners to have so many different navigational aids to look at at a distance. They might get confused between one or two. So why not eliminate one and remove uh, an aid, uh, an obstacle it has now become? Uh, so they dynamite it. Uh, this is a time when people are not climbing lighthouses and they're not owned by the Park Service. So it's a different era. Whereas Old Baldy remains because uh, even though it's extinguished in 1935, uh, it plays a new role in World War II. It becomes a radio tower. So Old Baldy is um, warning uh, people that there are U-boats off of our coastline. Uh, it's transmitting uh, dispatches up to Wilmington so they can bring down bombers and bomb these U-boats in the graveyard of the Atlantic that are terrorizing uh, our coastline. And then for a long time in the 50s and the 60s and into the 70s, it points the way to Baldhead Island, which has always been a place for people to go for artist, artistic inspiration. It's been a place where people go to get away from the hustle and bustle of this industrial age in the 20th century. It's where young couples in Southport would always go over and fall in love. Uh, and Baldhead Island has been 
something for everybody. They've found meaning in Baldhead Island on their own, and Old Baldy has always kind of pointed the direction across the river so you can find your way there and some of us never really want to leave hey that's that's i think that's the point of something that's iconic like that though it it anchors a place it anchors an experience it anchors memory absolutely so you know you see and i'll share photos of this but you see pictures where uh taken in the 20th century of where baldhead island or not old Baldhead Island, but old Baldy is surrounded by growth. I mean, there's a lot of, there wasn't as much maintenance over time. So, right. it, you know, it, it kind of reinvented its use over time, but there were times where it just kind of sat there, but that's not the case today. Um, no. What is the state of Baldy today? So old Baldy is um, thriving. We get tens of thousands of climbers uh, every year, even more uh, choose just to um, come experience the historic site. Perhaps they're not up for 108 stairs in 100-degree weather. Yeah. Uh, wow. It's a little strenuous some days. <laughs> 1818 didn't build much uh, place for air conditioning, I imagine. No. Another million-dollar question. Is there air conditioning and is there an elevator? Yeah. Uh, we never know if they're joking or not. <laughs> I would imagine those are questions shared by you and the battleship North Carolina. Oh, I am sure. <laughs> and I attest the battleship is much hotter. Yes, yes. <laughs> there aren't windows over there. No, no, no. So since 1985, uh, a foundation was created to preserve Old Baldy. Uh, it had been falling apart. The stucco uh, was basically removed, uh, the overwhelming majority of the stucco, exposing much of this 18th century brick to the uh, sea wash. The staircase inside was made of cypress wood, and it was dry rotting, uh, and the door was wide open. So in the 70s, out of Baldhead Island, when we, we know it as the Generator Society, when there were 17 homes out there all powered off generators, these folks were climbing the lighthouse at their own risk. They were weathering hurricanes in Old Baldy Lighthouse. Oh, wow. And when push came to shove by 1985, the community realized that they needed to create some sort of organization to not only preserve the lighthouse as uh, a symbol of the state's heritage, but also just make it a safe experience, uh, not a liability. That's dangerous. Right? So it took from about 1987 to 1993 to preserve the lighthouse. Uh, Phase one, uh, preserve the exterior. Eventually, phase two, preserve the interior. They had a steps to the top campaign where all these community leaders purchased a stair, collectively they raised enough money to rehabilitate that staircase uh and then in 2017 uh there was uh you know a six-figure uh restoration that fortunately occurred two years before hurricane florence because she held up extremely well and that would have not been the case if we had not given her that very expensive birthday gift for her 200th uh, birthday. <laughs> uh, so the state of Old Baldy is strong. Uh, like that long 20th century that Old Baldy endured, uh, everybody comes out there for a different purpose. But Old Baldy is that gravitational pull. Uh, it's the center of gravity for Baldhead Island. Was there ever, uh, you know, an, a thought that it? might have to be taken down when they were doing, you know, stucco was missing and all these times. Was there ever any structural concern or was it more the the foundation was good? It was just kind of that staircase in the middle and kind of shoring up its, you know, security. Um, The foundation was uh, secure. I think the scariest thing to read in the engineer's reports in our archival collection is the fact that the lanthorn up top was just sitting there through several major hurricanes uh, It was just sitting there. It was not anchored to the roof. So it is miraculous that we did not wake up one day and find that in the marsh. (laughs) Um, Fortunately, uh, you know, they got it secured before these several hurricanes in the late 90s and in the present era. Uh, But no, there never was a concern that it was going to fall down. Uh, And it was so revered by the state. Uh, I don't think in the late 80s or even today, that that ever would have been a consideration. It would have been all hands on deck to preserve this kind of integral piece of our all of our heritage. One thing I, I really enjoy doing on the show is, is seeing the things that weather hurricanes and weather kind of coastal living. And so you have right. um, Brunswick Town even earlier in time. Uh, we did an episode on uh, Lumina Pavilion, which mm-hmm. survived Hurricane Hazel. But um, Old Baldy has survived all of these. I mean, it's pretty impressive. Um, right. 
that we've seen uh, such resilience. I think uh, it's a it's a good story, and uh, it's one of those things that it comes even more to life because you can go visit it. Mm-hmm. And you'll be there to tell people all about it. it of course. Like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I would encourage everyone to go out to Baldhead Island uh, if you can and and tour Old Baldy. Uh, I've been up there before. Uh, it's quite the view. Uh, it is hot if you are going in the summer, but uh, it is worth, I think, the, the, the trek up to the top of it. So uh, thank you so much for being here, Travis. I really appreciate it. And uh, have more fun at Baldhead Island. I think we all wish we could be out there every day. Of course. <laughs> thank you. That's it for this episode of Cape Fear Unearthed and the stories of Baldhead Island's lighthouses. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll be back next Thursday with a new episode from our local history book. But until then, be sure to share your thoughts on the show on Twitter with the hashtag CFUnearthed. Or you can email me directly at capefearunearthed at gmail.com. Also, Be sure that you're a member of our Facebook group, where listeners can ask questions about our episodes and share their own memories of the region's history. In that group, I post extra content for each episode, and this week, I'm going to be posting some really cool photos of Old Baldy and even a few of the Cape Fear Lighthouse. You can find that group by searching Cape Fear Unearthed on Facebook. And don't forget to sign up for the Cape Fear Unearthed newsletter which goes out every Thursday. In it, I include a link to the new episode and any supplemental pictures or videos that I uncover in my research, all delivered right to your inbox. Sign up for that newsletter at starnewsonline.com newsletters. Kate Fear Unearthed was written, edited, and hosted by me, Hunter Ingram. You can find more of my work at starnewsonline.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Hunter underscore Wesley. Additional editing is done by Adam Fish. This podcast was made possible by listeners and readers like you. Support local journalism and Cape Fear Unearthed by subscribing to the Star News today at starnewsonline.com slash subscribe. And while you're subscribing to things, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, leave us a review, which will help more people find Cape Fear Unearthed. Until next time, get out and explore the Cape Fear region on your own. What you learn might just surprise you. you.